This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Cancillo. With me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy TBT Championship, I guess, day. It's, it's, it's on Tuesday, right? It's, uh... yep, it's a Tuesday tip. So for everyone listening, you are, you're probably listening just hours before um, Syracuse, mostly Syracuse grads anyway, compete for the school's first basketball championship since 2003. <laughs> yes, with, with a host of players from former conference folks of Syracuse, which makes it even funnier to me. Um, but no, I, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I don't know about you. I went in thinking like, you know, obviously I was on the roof of the team. I've watched um, all but one game. I was, I was out yesterday, so I, I didn't get to catch it. I've been reading stuff up on it. Um, but like, I thought there might be like a little bit of an impact on having so many non-Syracuse guys on the team. But honestly, like not really. I, I've rooted for the team about as hard as I have before. It hasn't really deaden the impact um it helps that they win won all these games and they're in the championship now but um and every game has been kind of a thriller except for maybe the, the always a brave game um but yeah no it's been a it's been a fun one yeah i mean in particular like you know th- th- these games have obviously been nail biters in some respects but um i i've just really enjoyed how they found a way in the last couple um to like close things out uh when it seemed like their backs were against the wall um in particular the uh, the 66-64 win on Sunday against Florida TNT uh, w- was about as thrilling as you're going to find uh, a finish. I really thought they'd just completely given it away um, after, you know, two straight just like terrible shots um, w- w- with the game on the line. And then, you know, Tyrese Rice comes in with this fantastic steal, drive to the bucket, almost like loses his handle on it, but manages to get the, the, the game-winning points. Uh, and Rice has just been an absolute revelation for this team. Uh, 24 points, seven assists, four boards um, on Sunday uh, against uh, against Florida TNT. But in general, ha- having such a steady play at the guard position um, just, just shows how, how crucial it is and, and, and how much it's it's been needed um, in recent years. And that's no knock on the guys that have played, but you know, clearly Rice just is, is, a, is playing at a different level than, than what we've seen um, there in recent seasons yeah I mean we talked about it going in like the position we needed help at was point guard um, we brought in three of them uh, all from all from outside of the Syracuse family Rice has been probably our best player he does a little hero ball sometimes but overall he's been like a real steadying force uh, Kane's been good Kiefer Seitz has been pretty decent um, they've all kind of like had their moments um, DJ Kennedy honestly is like surprisingly become more of a role player especially as like Chris McCullough has been if it's not Rice, like, Bacol's probably been the best Syracuse guy by a large margin um, on this team. Um, but, no, it's really – I think they've really found, uh, found the rhythm a little bit. They get a, a little shaken early on, but this team just knows what it's doing in that in that uh, Elam ending. Like, they are locked in every single time that rolls around. Um, the, the Florida TNT, they started down five and ended up winning on that crazy play by, by Rice that you described. Um but no, it's it's been really refreshing to see just like no matter what, they don't seem to get rattled. Um, it probably helps that they have a bunch of those overseas elite guys who are have just dominated this tournament for so long. Um, 
so yeah it's been it's been a blast i've, I've really enjoyed it i'm, I'm pumped for uh for us tomorrow night uh the final yeah and i mean honestly like i, I said last week um in the roundtable preview that we did uh, that me james and kevin did um before we got to the the quarterfinals and i said you know like realistically golden eagles last year's champ was the best team we were going to face um in, in this event and if they found a way to to get past them i, I really like their odds um, Florida TNT, I think was, was a very formidable opponent. And I think team 23 is too, but at the same time, like, you know, Bayheim's army should be the favorite here. Um, and the, the, and again, that's by no means, you know, taking it, this, this team lightly though. Um, you know, we, we talked about some of Syracuse, well, the Syracuse alumni teams, like challenges and, and having to come back late in games and, and keeping things like pretty tight, um, against some recent opponents, uh, it seemed like early team 23 was, was doing a little bit of the same. Um, you know, they had eight point win over best Virginia, seven point win over sideline cancer. I mean, Georgia Kings win w- w- was pretty big, but then a three point win against, against heard that like they've definitely, they've definitely played some pretty close games and, and they're definitely experienced there. Um, I, I think one of the, you know, maybe more concerning parts for, for me um, when looking at this team is just how varied they are. Uh, from a scoring perspective and how, you know, they, they can seemingly change the style of play a bit depending on who they're facing. Yeah, I was looking before. It's really fascinating. They play like 13 or 14 guys, um, which I imagine meets them very fresh. Um, it's not a lot of big names. The biggest name is probably Daniel Ochefu from Villanova, who a lot of uh, our fans will probably recognize. He, I think he's one of three guys with NBA experience on this team. He only played like 19 NBA games over the course of a couple of years, so it's not like a ton of experience. But he's only averaging about 3.4 points a game, so he hasn't been a big factor. It's it's, it's a real, like, as you said, it, you never really know who's going to step up for this team, which I guess you've seen a little bit from Behind's Army as well. But the rotations from Behind's Army are much shorter. Um, they have, like, no one averaging over 12.5 points. Uh, Marcus Hall or Colorado grads are really do sort of 12.4. Um, then they have Raphael Putney, who's a, an overseas elite uh, alum from UMass at 11.8. They have another overseas elite uh, alum, Deterre uh, Tucker from Utah, who has at eight points. Um, Walt Lemon Jr., the Bradley guy with like a, a 11 NBA games under his belt at 11.2 points. Eric Griffin from Campbell's at 10.2. And th- those are the four double-digit sides. But yeah, they play so many. They just throw bodies at you, it seems like. Um, so it will be fascinating because uh, the uh, Bam's army seems to really ride its dies, especially down the stretch. Like, you know, once you get into the Elam, it's been a lot of the non-Syracuse guys plus McCullough. Um, you'll see a little bit of CJ Fair. You'll see some some Devendorf. Um, but it, it definitely has been a much different look than what it, it seems like Team 23, which is like just kind of blitzing you with numbers. Yeah, which, you know what, has had a lot of success in this tournament, I think. And it's good that Beheim's Army uh, pivoted to something uh, more resembling that. I mean, I still think, like you said, that rotations aren't like the the biggest. It's funny. It's kind of a pain, you know, homage to, to Jim Beheim in some ways in terms of uh, shorter rotations in recent years. But yeah, having a little bit more depth than they've had um, the past couple uh, times out, you know, has really been huge. And I think with, with Elam ending and, and the pressure uh, cooker that that kind of creates at the end of these games, just having fresh legs and having, you know, different looks to throw at teams is, is such a big part of things. And I, I think realistically in, in the history of this tournament, this might be, this might end up being one of the more surprising results, no matter who wins, but especially, uh, you know, if Beheim's army loses. Yeah. I, I think that's a fair point. Um, I will say like, I, it's interesting because they throw a lot of people at you, 
But looking at the numbers, they actually score less on the fast breaks. It doesn't seem like they play super fast. It's just having a lot of fresh bodies. Um, and then the other big advantage that Bayheim's Army looks to have, uh, they haven't scored as much uh, as Team 23 um, in the tournament. The Bayheim's Army has been in like, the mid-60s. Most of these games, Team 23 has been in like the mid-high mid 70s, although a lot of it's skewed by that Georgia Kings game where they won 91-64. But Bayheim's Army has significantly more offensive rebounds. That's really not a, a factor for Team 23. Um, so if, if, we, if, uh, if McCullough and DJ Kennedy and... Uh, Lydon when he's in there and CJ all can like really crash at offensive glass like that's a, a place where uh, Bam's army can have a lot of uh, impact and then as I said like Bam's army's done out and run a lot more um, and they've turned them all over less than Team 23 so you know we could see the transition game and the in the half court like that just dominating on the offensive glass not a, a thing we usually say about Syracuse teams or even this Bayhams army team in years past but it has been a big factor for them this year. Yeah, I really like just the more complete games of basketball they've played compared to previous seasons, compared to, compared to even maybe most like Syracuse teams of recent vintage. Um, the, the, the squad has been able to do a lot of things really well. Um, they've had some turnover issues here and there, which is actually not something that um, recent Syracuse teams have had. But beyond that, like you said, off, crashing the offensive glass, I think having really balanced scoring, not necessarily relying on one guy and having good ball movement, especially with this team and having a certified point guard, um, all, all, all big factors. And, and to me, like, again, I'm not, I'm not going to make a, pre- I'll make a prediction, but I'm not going to like, I'm not going to unequivocally say that, that Syracuse is going to win this. I just think that the, 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 this is Beheim's army's best chance yet to win it all. And I think this team definitely has what it takes to, to take home the win. Yeah. I think this will be a really close game. As I said, they have a, a couple overseas elite guys as well. They have overseas elites old coach. So like both teams um, have significant, groups of players that know exactly how to win this thing. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be close. I, I think Bayhams Army is a little more talented um, on paper at the very least, uh, and I think they'll figure out a way to, to pull this one out. Agreed. Uh, what would you say a, a potential final score here might be? Um, let's go. I think uh, we'll try to speed up a little bit. I think I'll, I'll 70 to uh, 66 with a, another close eliminating finish. All right. Yeah, I'll go... Uh... This team again has played it so close to the best. They played some really tight games lately. I think they get it done. I think it's seventy-four to sixty-eight. I, I, I definitely think it's going to be an, another another tight one. But I think that Bayheim's army actually goes into the the final quarter looking better than they have in the last couple of games. Yeah, let's hope so because it's been like a little bit uh, choppy. Let's say, especially like in the lead up to the game endings, I feel like we, we really flip that switch once it gets to that point. But um, there have been some times where, you know, you could have used another bucket or two to, to keep the keep some space. And then obviously this last game, we were down five going into it after being up one like a few minutes earlier. So less of that, more of the uh, the comfortable late fourth quarters. But uh, in any case, I think it'll be close. I'd be very surprised otherwise. Yeah, I definitely uh, I, I, I wouldn't doubt that in the least. Um Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Some other Syracuse news um, while we're here. 
I guess, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's news, even though it happened on Monday. Uh, Quentin Hill, Hillsman resigned um, as the women's basketball coach at Syracuse. Uh, I don't necessarily think that's a surprising result. I think I was more just surprised at how quickly um, all that kind of came about, given um, the you know, current ongoing investigation. Syracuse says they're still going to reveal the findings of said investigation, um, but Hillsman is out. They still haven't named an interim. I assume that will be somebody on the current staff, depending on what the investigation yields. Um, and, and we're probably looking at a bit of a bridge year now um, to whoever the full-time coach ends up being uh, for 22-23. Yeah, that feels like the most uh, most likely scenario here. Um, and it's a really interesting situation because this team just had so much turnover, which is not probably not unrelated to the uh, investigation and the findings, which um, I imagine, given the situation, probably aren't uh, super great. <laughs> um, considering this was very abrupt, it was, it was pretty fast, all things considered. Um, we already have uh, out in Buffalo, we have uh, Felicia Leggett Jack, uh, or Leggett Jack, um, already pretty publicly stumping for the job at her old alma mater. Honestly, like, I don't know if that would possibly happen before the season. I think it's more likely that you have an interim coach, but someone like that taking over uh, an experienced coach with deep Syracuse roots, even if, like, I don't know if her ceiling is quite as high as, as maybe some other uh, coaches may have uh, at a job that has the ambitions of the Syracuse women's basketball, although she's not in Buffalo to a Sweet 16, which is pretty impressive. Um, at the very least, it seems like someone who could step in and like get things on a solid footing, and then you kind of see where things are at a, a couple years down the road. But I certainly wouldn't hate that move, and she's very publicly something for the job, uh, despite already having a job, which is... <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a surprising um, development, I, I think, today, was just the fact that yeah, she, she she didn't just say like it'd be something she considered. She was very publicly like, yeah, let's let's like, let's give me a shot there, um, and and definitely seemed to have a lot of interest in the job. Um, I I'd be curious to to hear what um, you know is is going on in the halls of UB um, at this point um, around that conversation. You know, I mean, realistically, like you said, she's probably not going to be hired for this coming season, but. If not, then she's sitting around basically waiting to get hired and coaching out the string um, at UB in this kind of awkward situation um, there. Like you said, like Buffalo's been pretty good uh, under her since 2012-13. Winning records every year um, other than the first season. Definitely turned things around pretty quick and turned uh, Buffalo into a contender top the MAC um, every year. Uh, like you said, Sweet 16 trip in 2018, where they upset South Florida, upset Florida State, and then uh, they South Carolina in the Sweet 16 before they lost by four. So she's she's done well. Um, I, I, th- I think in general, this is uh, this is kind of a fluid situation. I, I'd say you know she hasn't, didn't do as well necessarily at Indiana um, or Hofstra, uh, but you know it's it's kind of tough to say what like SU get, is going to do next. I think, I think it's almost guaranteed they hire um, a female coach. I, I think that from there though, like having someone with some soft Syracuse ties might not be the worst idea um, to kind of lean into some of the tradition and recent success. Um, despite, you know, the, the, the issues that, that are coming to light under Q. Um, at the same time, I wonder if there's, and again, no knock on legit Jack. I just think that, you know, maybe SU tries to poach somebody who has, I wouldn't say done a ton more, but has done 
at least has had at least a little bit more success. Um, but at the same time, you know what? She's got a hell of a lot of experience as head coach, and and, and that's not necessarily easy to come by. Um, so I, I'm really interested what happens next year. Yeah, uh, just on paper, like what I know of her, it seems like at least a pretty good fit, if not the highest ceiling fit. Um, I don't know much about Indiana women's basketball. That is like a little concerning. She didn't have a ton of success there. But she's, you know, then gone and had like a lot of success at Buffalo. And I know Buffalo has been uh, a pretty ambitious school in terms of like all of their sports. But um, I don't know. I don't think that really you hold that against her. Um, in general, though, like I think you're right. It's it's tough because you don't want to like completely throw away everything that's happened during uh, on the positive side during the Q tenure. Like he's pretty clearly like the architect of this program, gotten them to new heights, up to a national championship game, et cetera, et cetera. Like that's uh, pretty significant. Um, but you also like bringing someone in with like direct ties to the years of, of, you know, allegations and, and, you know, whatever else, like it's tough to kind of, to thread that needle. Um, so we'll see. Uh, it's, it's going to be a fascinating situation. It's fascinating because obviously we just had a, a huge men's last hire, but Harry Gate was already in the building. Um, there have been years of rumors. It sounds like he was kind of like, you know, if he wasn't soft offered the job before or like didn't have something in place, like there was at least a thought out there. This is going to be the first major hire likely from the outside that Wild Hack has to make, uh, which is interesting because usually an AD gets one of those opportunities pretty early on um, in his tenure. And Wild Hack's been here for a minute now. So um, that'll be fascinating, if nothing else, just to see like what his what his uh, approach is. Does he go? Uh, does he go with a with a, a service or um, something else, or does he just kind of make this hire himself? Um, yeah, I think we're going to learn a lot about how Wildhack works here, um, and, and a pretty significant job. Like we, we, you know, tried to build up this women's basketball program. We've prided ourselves on on the progress they've made, and you you really don't want to just throw it all away. Yeah, I mean, I think that's such a key point there. Like uh, women's basketball has obviously been built up, and and said like. Q obviously had a lot of issues here and, and I'm not going to, you know, sweep those under the rug. Um, he also had a lot of success um, on the court um, in terms of wins and losses. So I, I think that, you know, you can still put that behind, you can still put the, the, the bad behind you and then build on success with a new hire here. Um, and it, it would really be a shame to see women's basketball program kind of fall back um, to, to a bit of me- mediocrity, um, you know, w- w- with whoever the next regime is. I think that, like, like you said, how he handles this is going to be super informative. I think of, of, of what comes next for Wild Hack as he, you know, looks out at, at at what could be a really like um, daunting next five years or so for for him in, in the job. And I think that, you know, if I don't think a, I don't think a search firm necessarily dictates whether or not you take a, jo- a job search seriously. But um, I, I do wonder, you know, especially if it's not legit Jack um, as the head coach, I do wonder kind of if he doesn't go with a search firm and he makes a quicker hire um, and it's just kind of a ho-hum hire, uh, so to speak. I, I, I do wonder if like the athletic department is taking the, the hire seriously and, and, and keeping women's basketball at the level it's been at seriously. Uh, but, you know, don't, don't, don't want to run them through the mud though yet for something they haven't done. So I guess we will, we, we will see what happens. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because I think a couple of, we've, we've like made fun of search firms and that was like a fun thing to do for a while. And I think a lot has been written and said uh, in recent years about like what like the actual um, 
thing like what the actual uh, value of the model is, especially in like in light of the situations at LSU. And I think given that Syracuse is coming off a situation where their coach is uh, resigning, quote unquote, um, over allegations of, of mistreatment, I think uh, it's probably wise to make sure your uh, eyes are dotted and your T's are crossed in terms of the next hire to make sure there's nothing in the closet there. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, we hopefully we see it taken seriously no matter what happens. Um, but as you said, Wild Hack is, has, I mean, he hasn't had a, a ton of major decisions to make so far. Obviously, uh, filling women's lacrosse is big, but it's, it's not at the same uh, the same level as like these Nets couple in terms of like the, the prominence on a national scale. Um, it's about to come to a head because obviously Jim Beheim's retirement ha- has to be around. No matter what, it's around the corner. Like we know this. Um, football, unless Babers just really turns things around this fall, he might have that too. Uh, he won't, might have that decision to make in you know less than a year. Um, I think this is uh, we're going to see uh, a pretty stark remaking of the Syracuse Athletic Department over the next couple of years. Um, and Wild Hack will have his chance to make a, a you know basically his his legacy is going to be probably decided in these next couple of years. Yeah, and you know, and from a financial perspective, I mean, it it it's, it means a lot to be able to like if he can pull off. The, the entire dome renovation and the fundraising around that, um, you know, if Babers can't turn it around, we're going to be looking at maybe a significant buyout there. So he's got to contend with that plus whatever happens after. Um, obviously the next coach after Jim Beheim is not giving the same hometown discount um, that Beheim's provided the athletic department. Who knows what not, the, not the big hire, which hopefully right. it is. Like, yeah. Which it has to me has to be, I, I know that that's a, a constant kind of contention around the fan base. And then, who knows? Um, who knows if there was any buyout involved um, with, with Desco? There might have, there might be a buyout here uh, involved with Hillsman. Like that's a lot of money potentially shelled out, plus the, the money that you you need to bring in, that you need to utilize and, and put, you know put forth to bring in a, a successful replacement for all those positions. Um, so I, I definitely think that there's hopefully a very strong fundraising uh, push going on because I, I do feel like. You know, it, Wild Hack might end up handcuffed here, not even by his own fault necessarily, by just a lot of money having it outlaid in a short amount of time. Yeah, it's a fair point. And like a lot of it, you know, some of it's not his fault. Um, the Cube situation you kind of had to handle. It sounds like the fact that they've let it, they're, they're, you know, cutting him loose now makes it seem like it's pretty obvious it needed to. Um, if they have to fire Babers this year, it's coming just a couple of years after what, you know, sounds like a pretty big extension. Um, and those are just decisions that are, are you know, pretty cut and dry so it's not even necessarily like his fault but you know these are the these are the things that you have to do when you're uh, a big time power five ad so uh yeah hopefully hopefully uh hopefully he's done well but it, it's a it's a, an interesting time i'd say for syracuse athletics it's like basically across the board agreed <laughs> um for better or for worse i guess yeah um, yeah <laughs> content wise it's fun i suppose or at least interesting and busy insert, insert the darren Ravel tweet <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Dan, while you were watching uh, Beheim's Army, what, uh, what what were you enjoying? Or it was a little oh. too early in the day, maybe, to enjoy. But in any case, what were you drinking this weekend? Uh, yeah, I've had a decent amount of stuff. Had some Too Juicy from Two Roads. Uh, I think I killed the last of those that I had. Um, I have a chance. Of, we're getting a lot, of, a lot more three Floyds out here, which is really exciting. Um, I had a couple of gumball heads from them, which was, was great. I always love three Floyds, and, and the fact that they're a little more available on the East Coast now is very exciting. Had some uh, Superbutt Sinners Boast from 902 Brewing in North Jersey, which was solid. And then uh, had some Voodoo Ranger IPA from New Belgium. 
Very nice. Yeah. Um, I know when I was in Chicago a couple weeks ago, uh, Three Floyds was even more prevalent than it used to be. Um, a lot of it is uh, because they closed down the brew pub. I think they, uh, they kind of balanced that out by um, expanding distribution uh, to kind of make up for the losses there, if I had to guess. That makes sense. It's unfortunate. I heard the blue room was great, but yeah, um, I guess, yeah. I mean, I guess like, I, I feel bad for the people in Chicago then, but uh, I also am not going to apologize for having a little more access to it out here. True. Uh, on my end, I had a few different things. Um, it was our anniversary last week, so we enjoyed some, uh, from modern times, they had their uh, modem tones, uh, barrel-aged imperial stout with vanilla. That was an incredible beer, uh, best I've had all year, uh, for sure. Uh, from Highland Park, I had, I mentioned this one last week, Limbo Timbo. It's uh, Timbo Pills Unfiltered at uh, MT8, Modern Times, uh, 8th Anniversary, uh, New England Double IPA. Had a Sundiver, Vienna Lager from Modern Times. Had Jumbo Timbo, again, another one I mentioned last week. It was an uh, Imperial Pilsner from Highland Park. Had, um, from Modern Times, a uh, Cool Zone with Petite Sarads and Fendel Grapes. Uh, just a really like light farmhouse uh, saison, and then um, after doing some stuff with the kids yesterday, uh, went over to Burning Daylight Brewing in Lomita. Had their uh, Citrus Slammer uh, grapefruit IPA that was super super good. Um, maybe a contender uh, with uh, with grapefruit sculpin, which is uh, which is uh, haughty praise, I know. Ooh, I do love a grapefruit IPA, so I'll see if I can uh, keep an eye out for that. Yeah, that one, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to make... I mean, they don't even really distribute much around here. But uh, if you end up on the West Coast at all, definitely uh, definitely make a trip there. I would say it's a, it's a pretty good one. I, I wish I could get down there more often. It's like like 25-ish minute drive sometimes. And I feel like that's like just long enough that there's so many options in between here and there that I don't right. have enough. Especially with like LA area traffic, 25 minutes to turn into a lot more really yeah. quick. LA area traffic, two kids, a lot of work. There's only so much you can do. Right. So the NBA free agency has just started, as you know. Um, I want to play a game today, so if you have not seen this, because it broke in the last minute. Um, as a Knicks fan, uh, they just signed Evan Fournier. How much do you think the Knicks are giving Evan Fournier? I mean, the Knicks can go get Ben. I don't even care how much they're giving him Evan Fournier. <laughs> Whatever it is. <laughs> Whatever it is, is too much. What if I told you it was four years, $78 million. Well, guaranteed? I don't know the guarantees. The fourth year is a team option. So that's not as bad. But still, that's a lot of money for Evan Fournier. I am just tweeting my anger. <laughs> <laughs> that's just so, I know he's played well in the Olympics, but like, yeah. I mean, they got pretty good deals on Noel and, uh, and uh, Burks. So like, that's good, but... And bringing back, no- like, like bring back Noel is crucial, but yeah, and they got him for like three for thirty-two or something. Like that's a good deal. I I, I thought that was really good for them. Evan Fournier for seventy-eight million, <laughs> even I mean, if the last year doesn't really count. Fourth year is a team option. Still, this is. Uh, I, I need to see what the money breakdown is. But it's that's a lot of money. Infuriating in any case. The Nets Gary are Trent going to. Gary Trent's going back to the Raptors. Dwight Howard going to the Lakers. Uh, Kyle Lowry to the Heat. Uh, it sounds like the Nets are losing Dinwiddie, which has been expected, but they might sign Patty Mills, which I would like as a backup point guard. So very interesting day so far. Just, I, I do like that they're starting this a lot earlier than normal. 
Oh yeah, I mean they they they've learned from the NFL. Like you got to stay in the news, and the NBA's gotten better at it. Uh, but you need to make yourselves a twenty four uh, or a twelve month a year sport. And the NFL did that, and they dominated, and the NBA started to do as well. Yeah, midnight uh midnight Eastern time starts. Definitely not um not not a recipe for um, newsworthiness unless unless you put a you know chair in front of DeAndre Jordan's door. In, in, in <laughs> then, then, then suddenly you are newsworthy. <laughs> That's still one of like the great the great moments on in sports Twitter was the the for for a player who ended up like getting way worse like immediately after that happened. But uh, yeah, no, that was that was I one of my favorite nights on Twitter for sure. NBA Twitter at its absolute finest. Uh, sports yes. Twitter at its absolute finest. Um, we're gonna keep talking about non Syracuse things. Um, first, I'll just mention that uh, the Mets are angering me <laughs> once again. <laughs> and then... Yeah, they look really bad. Uh, since I mean, I, I, I'm happy they traded for Javi Baez. Uh, I assume they'll sign Javi Baez for the long term because he's like best friends with Lindor, and it, it just seems like a move that's pretty obvious. But uh, yeah, they've looked really bad. <laughs> they look really bad. They did a really dumb thing yesterday. Um, that was very dumb. Uh, no upside move to not <laughs> sign Jamar Rocker. Um, I don't know why you don't just say like, hey pretty much every pitcher now gets Tommy John surgery at some point. So even if he needs it, not that big a deal. People are really good at recovering from it now. Yeah. It's uh, for, for, for the listeners, uh, the Mets decided they were not signing their first round pick, um, which is not which something we're should... super excited about. Yeah. Not something you should do, but Hey, the Mets and like uh, many Mets critics have rightfully pointed out, like if the Wilpons did this, like Mets fans would be like riding in the streets and like burning them in effigy. So somebody yeah, doesn't I mean, it helps. I like it's it's not fair to compare Cohen to the Wilpons since he had just like this has literally happened like a couple days after he sat he traded for like another giant money player that everyone assumes they're going to resign but people are not wrong that was a very Wilponian move and again it, it like I don't know why you draft him if you aren't prepared to a pay him over the the slot which everyone knew was going to be the case and then like b you know if, if there's if there are significant injury like i don't know it, it just seems very frustrating and like yeah it would be way easier if he had just gotten the evaluations done and everything else but like just sign him and and figure it out it's an mlb draft pick if he busts it's like okay he's one of a, a, a hundreds every year like but the upside is just so high he could have been on the roster probably next season even if he got even if he needed tommy john like this summer he could have at least maybe come come up to the mets end of next year start of 2023 like, yeah, it's just it's just very frustrating. Just not the right thing to do. Pete Alonso just hit a home run, so that's nice. But uh yeah. Just, that happens, uh, that happens win or lose. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, he hits home run like every night now. Um so yeah, I'm happy about the hobby bias trade. I, I, I don't always hug prospects, so it's fine. I, I look forward to Baez and Lindor in the middle of the infield for like a decade to come. But the rocker thing, really, really bad. Hyper dumb. Um all right, back to college sports. Um, last week, we kind of stopped short of talking about um, the Pac-12's current disaster. We uh, were talking about realignment. Dan, do you want to start there? Do you want to start at the nonsensical, uh, definitely not true rumor uh, about Florida State oh. today? Or do you want to start about the fact that Bob Bowlesby just seems to be really just mailing it in right now? Let's do the ACC stuff first. Cause, I mean, though, it's not really news. It's It's like some local radio like hey what 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 giant college football news is a local radio person ever broken right like when's it ever happened 
B, if you just have any, like, real idea of how these things work and, like, a lot's been written about, like, ESPN's role in this stuff, why would ESPN that has the ACC over a barrel through 2036 then go and neuter that project, that, that, uh, that league, when they already have control over it, in order to then to give the SEC more uh, leverage to negotiate an even higher deal? Like, it doesn't make any sense. There's no, like, it's, it's not, it doesn't make a lot of sense for anyone, really. Clemson would then be throwing away its, like, own, like, you know, cakewalk to the playoff every year. Um, yeah, they'd probably make a little more money, but how much money would they lose in the back, on the, you know, on the back end from not being able to uh, necessarily garner those, the same donation levels if they kind of middle, like, like bottom out or, like, even tear off to where they're an average team or a slightly above average team. And then, uh, those two schools would have would, would lose their media deals, their, their media rights for like how many years? I, David Hale just tweeted about this a couple minutes ago while we were on. Uh, it'd be like millions and millions. It'd be like such an insane amount of money they'd be giving away. It can't possibly make up. Like, it can't be made up for for like decades of an, of SEC payouts. So um, yeah, it just it, there's just nothing to it. It's just not feasible in any which way unless. ESPN decided that that was a really smart thing for them to do, and I just don't see how tanking your uh, your your lower uh, your lower priced asset that is still pretty good and still makes you a decent amount to then just give uh, the SEC, which is doing negotiations with you, even more money, like even more leverage. Uh, it just doesn't it doesn't logic at all. <laughs> yeah, there, there's absolutely nothing um, here, and I think it's. It's wild how how legitimate accounts were ready to run in that direction, you know, 10, 11 years after we, we, we you know, we just talked about him last week, but the dude, uh, you know, from WVU and all these other random, and, and it was the same thing last time. It was, it was, it was like hyper local papers, not even like your like, you know, paper of record in a city. It was like hyper local papers, random radio producers, people who. People on the internet. <laughs> yeah, people on the internet, but, but people who, and others have pointed out this too, like people who are very keyed into boosters um, and, and what boosters are saying and, and, and decided that because they, they were well-sourced on something else and because they were legit on something else that, that, that this is worthwhile. And like, no, this is a university decision. This is not a, an athletic booster decision um, really that gets made. Um, the exception there might be Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, but, but, but even then, like, this is still a university decision. And, and, and as many have stated before, like, you got to think like a university president um, when you're thinking about these conversations um, and, and, and thinking like a booster and a booster who just wants to max out, you know, the here and now, um, not necessarily going to work. It's very dumb. It's just, and, and the fact that like, the fact that it even caught on as much as it did just like drives me nuts. I know that I was like verified on Twitter, but like, again, just I'm glad that so many people have been so aggressive in shooting it down though. Um, also, Javi Baez just came up lame running to first base uh, and got pulled from the game. So things are doing great. Uh, love, love the Mets. <laughs> All right. So there's that. Um, Today, Bob Bowlesby also seemed to confirm that, like, what would all uh, oh my God. Big 12 fans are just, like, horrified by. I know uh, our friends over at Smoking <laughs> Musket are, like, losing their goddamn minds because Bowlesby's pretty much said, like, he's not talking to anybody about uh, expansion, which realistically, like, if you hear that as a uh, – if you hear that as a fan um, or really even as an athletic administrator at any of the other remaining eight Big 12 schools, I think you need to be, like, running for the door. Uh, because honestly, like those conversations should have been ongoing for some time now. 
Um, it, because what, even if Texas and Oklahoma did stay, you needed to find a way to increase the value of those rights. Um, so I, I would think if you're that conference that BYU, Boise State, Cincinnati, USF, UCF, Memphis, um, as a short list are all in like constant conversation with you about what membership would look like. Um, the fact that he says he's talking to no one, um, means that this conference is, um, eternally screwed and, and, and due for, um, complete implosion in my mind. I just don't get why he doesn't just like, no, like just say like, we're exploring all avenues or whatever. Like, obviously, as you said, you need to be exploring mem- new membership because you need to get to a place where you can hold on to the current media rights deal. Um, and then hopefully like cut your losses a little bit, or like, like stem the tide of your losses for when it's renegotiated. Because right now, like if you just drop to eight teams, Hey, you're gonna. I mean, someone's gonna leave. Like, you're not gonna hold on to late. Um, your best hope is to say, like, hey, we, we still are getting pretty good payouts for a while. Like, we'll, we'll add UCF and and Cincinnati and and call it a day for a second, or even go to twelve and and maybe at least like try to maintain you know close to your current levels and say like this is an ideal. It sucks that Oklahoma and Texas left and left us in a lurch like this, but at least we're going to try to make the best of it. Be a pretty good league. Um, hold on to like a, a pretty valuable media rights deal for now and and this will still be better than you, a bunch of you guys doing the AAC um right now but, but him I mean if he's not lying and, and he's just not actually talking to anyone like what are you doing then Bob like this is like the biggest moment of your whole job yeah I uh I don't really see him lasting too long at this point um mostly because I don't think the conference is going to exist but yeah then this the, the, this seems just like woefully mismanaged um, again, I know Spoken Muskets pointed this out, like him claiming he was blindsided when like Oklahoma and Texas, like were actively talking about how bad the media deal was. Yeah, this just, just not great. Um, and, and the Big 12 has really just been a source of like, you know, schadenfreude for, for, for quite some time in, in, in conference realignment. But this is just, th- this is beyond foolish. And, and I really do think that it's a shame um, if, if the Big 12 is really lampooned and, and, and destroyed by, by this, is, is that it's, uh, it's, it's an inability to see the forest through the trees in terms of your own issues. Yeah, like, obviously, it's easy to compare it to, like, what the Pac-12 has done. But, A, the Pac-12 is, like, at least their biggest issues were, like, they tried to get too weird with it. <laughs> like, they just made some, like, bad bets, but they didn't just not do anything. And at least they also ran Larry Stott out uh, on a, and, and, you know, I don't know that Klyakov is like going to be the savior for them, but at least he, he seems like a forward thinking, interesting hire. Um, so with it, with, you know, experience in the media world. So at the entertainment world, um, Ballsby just seems like completely over his head and like, yeah, if you were blindsided, like that's a, that's not good. You need to be, no, you need to, to have your, have your fingers on the pulse of what's happening with your two biggest schools but even if you were blindsided, you don't have to keep on being blindsided. Like he should be exploring every every single thing possible, every single permutation of what the Big Twelve should look like. Um, but also, like it just the, the, the flirtation they had with these schools a couple of years ago when they didn't end up adding anyone. Like how bad does that look now? Yeah, I mean at this point, it just it just shows like complete lack of foresight, um, and, and I don't really understand how this uh, how this ends well for them. Um, I know you mentioned the Pac-12 there. I think it's a good place to kind of wrap us up. Um, I think the Pac, and, and you probably agree, obviously the Pac-12 is a little bit landlocked at this point. Um, you also have the perception for 
the schools in that conference that like they don't really want to add anyone else from California because they're all uh, Cal State options instead of yeah, UC options or private options. Um, you don't necessarily want to add um, Boise because it doesn't necessarily increase your profile compared to what you think you are. Um, you don't want to add BYU because of religious concerns. You probably don't want to add TCU or Baylor, especially Baylor for the same things. So that leaves what um, exactly like Oklahoma state is not necessarily, it's probably the best option you've got. And then maybe you use that to, to stomach adding TCU. Um, I don't really know what they do here. And, and, and I, I know that there's many that think that, that they could just stand pat and hang. I don't think that's an option for them. Not because, and, and, and really, I don't think that was an option for them before the Texas Oklahoma ads, to be honest. Uh, I, I think for the PAC 12, like, they need to figure out something for the TV situation right now. I think that um, going to Fox or going to ESPN and seeing if they'll just absorb um, the PAC 12 network and figure it out is, is something they need to look into. Um, I think, you know, asking Apple or Amazon to fix something um, and, 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 and find a solution um, for them would be another. I just, the status quo doesn't work for them anymore though. Yeah. I think I, I was like kind of brainstorming before, um, it's just, I think, I think Oklahoma state and then one of the Texas schools is probably the move. If you're making one, at least it adds like interesting places. I think TCU would probably be my choice. Baylor. I, I think you avoid like the plague, um, Texas tech. You're, I mean, I don't know that you add, I think you add the Metroplex school ahead of the, ahead of the school in like the desert, uh, <laughs> in to, Eastern from, Mexico, me, basically. Yeah. No offense to Texas tech. Like they've done some really good things, but I think if you're just looking at this strategically at TCU, um, even if they're not like what they were like five years ago, in which case I think they'd be in really good shape. Um, they at least have the the upside um, there and, and getting into Fort Worth, you know, you're in a, a pretty solid media area. Like Dallas is very close. You have all those Metroplex towns uh, very close. And then Oklahoma state, I think is just the best football program available. And uh, if you're, if you're, uh, I mean, Iowa state is for the moment, but like long-term uh, Oklahoma state. Um, and if you're Pac 12, like I think, just adding a, a good football property is there is some value to that. Like they just need to, to in, improve that league, honestly. And I know things are cyclical and they should turn around on its, on its own. But um, yeah, I think that, I think that would probably be the move uh, if, if I was the Pac-12. And then like everything else is like, is, is kind of like higher level strategics and, uh, and it's, uh, it's tough to, to really know what will work. I don't know if you try to talk to like, the big 10 about some kind of, of like joint media thing and, and get the pat. You just need, you need to figure out the Pac 12 network. That's such a, a, such a just horribly mismanaged situation. Um, and go from there, but, uh, yeah, they need to figure something out. And I think their, their biggest asset right now is that the big 12 imploded before they did. And, uh, the big 12 is way more hopeless. And I don't know that we're going to go from five to three power conferences in a minute. Um, so I think they're going to have some time to figure their stuff out. Yeah, I agree. And ultimately, though, in the meantime, like, I think the longer they wait, the more likely it is that something crazy happens, like USC or Stanford leading for ACC or Big Ten or something like that. Like, this is not just because there's nobody really ready to post them doesn't mean it can't happen. And, and just because, like, there's no immediate threat because of the Big 12 situation doesn't mean they have time to wait and just do nothing until, like, everything sorts itself out. I do think that that, that – they they only have so many years, really maybe even so many months, um, before you know dominoes start falling out of their favor. Um, if, if if they don't make some sort of addition or find a way to make the media rights more valuable, like immediately. 
Uh, I think it, they almost lucked out with the timing of everything because I feel like Larry Scott, if he was still there, even if like he was kind of on his way out, would just like find a way to entrench himself because of all of the stuff. It, the fact that they had just replaced their commissioner almost, I think, works. I mean, if he if if Klyavkov is bad, then he's bad. But if he's decent, I think the fact that he's taking over at such like a crazy time uh, almost allows him to be more aggressive. Like he gets to to really jump in and, and start to figure stuff out versus like had again had this happened before they had found uh staff's replacement and Stott was still like kind of playing out the string i could almost see him like consolidating power which would have been uh, a nightmare for them yeah i completely agree um we'll see what happens though i i don't necessarily think we're going to hear any new realignment news or at least like solid realignment news between now and the next uh podcast but uh next podcast is going to be the atlantic division uh preview um, it's not going to include Syracuse. We're going to talk plenty about Syracuse within that context, but um, we'll have, for listeners, we'll have the Atlantic preview next week, the Coastal preview the following week, and then we'll be jumping into the Syracuse uh, preview, our annual um, most listened um, bonanza, where we will be talking all things um, orange, what's ahead. We'll have an updated uh, roster by then, among other things. Uh, so it should be fun. But, uh, anything else, Dan, before we uh, depart today? Oh, it's so crazy that we're already in August. We're so close to the season. Um, hopefully, with all of uh, the COVID stuff going on right now with the Delta variant, the season can still draw off without a hitch. I know Syracuse is like 99% vaccinated, which is great, which should prevent most of the potential issues. And the college school, the, the college teams have, not, have been – I mean, it sounds like the vaccination levels for almost all of the big schools are, is pretty good. So hopefully we have a pretty uh, worry-free season – um, and obviously school year in general. I know Syracuse Nets uh, renewing masks for indoor stuff today, but uh, we'll see what happens with that. But overall, it's it's, uh, it's pretty crazy that we're, we're so close and excited to, to jump in next week on the ACC stuff. Yeah, same here. It's, uh, it's, it's felt like a very long but a very short offseason at the same time. So looking forward to, uh, to diving in. I think there's a lot of things uh, people are going to want to know about for Syracuse. I think there's a lot of surprisingly good things maybe to talk about, maybe also a lot of surprisingly bad things um, at the same time. So it's going to be an intriguing last few weeks of the offseason here and then an intriguing season um, that may or may not crush my soul, hoping for not, but uh, we'll know soon enough. Yes, sir. Well, uh, it's, a, it's a big one. Um, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, we, uh, we, we find some some – surprising uh good luck for once because we're, we're certainly owed it after these last two years i think agreed agreed unless we spent it all on 2018 we'll uh we'll, we'll find out and also as the mets have shown uh good luck doesn't actually like karma isn't real uh, <laughs> basically <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we 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 pay uh we, we pay with our firstborn every time we make a world series once a decade yeah don't win it just just make it <laughs> just, just arrive at it park in the parking lot wave to it Oh, God. All right. Everyone, everyone stay safe and, and have a good week. Go Bayhams Army, et cetera. Agreed. That was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Train News and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go orange. Go orange. <laughs>